Now, we're going to open up the Word this morning and jump into the book of John. And if you're new to having a Bible or whatever the case may be, I encourage you to grab one if you have one. If not, get on your phone and use the Bible app. But we're in John chapter 6. Um, the Bible app is not found on Instagram, by the way. So if you're on there, just swipe it out. Um, Bible app is different. You might find a Bible verse there, but that's not what we're talking about here. Um, but John chapter 6, there's this story that is familiar to a lot of us who have been around Bible stories. And even if you're new to faith, um, you've probably at some point in time um, heard this. And so I get that. But I want us to take a fresh look at it. Um, this is a day in which Jesus was with his people, his disciples, or 12 men that followed him around for a good portion of his time, uh, three years on earth that he spent in ministry. And they had been around people for a while, and they were a little peopled out. Uh, They were ready to be away and and distance themselves from the crowds for a while. It's how my wife and I will feel in about an hour from now, and how many of you volunteers will as well. Just kind of peopled out for a little bit, just need some space. Um, When we get home, we might look at each other and the nod as if to say, talk to you in three or four hours. Let's just kind of keep it quiet. We, We do that. You have your own codes for I'm peopled out. And Jesus looked at his disciples at some point and said, peopled out, time to go on. And it literally says they went to go rest and find an isolated place. They couldn't find one where there wasn't people. So they got in a boat and literally got on the Sea of Galilee and went down shore a little bit, uh, down the shore a little bit to look for a place to be. They found a hillside. They got out of the boat. And what many of them had not paid attention to was that the crowds had seen them in the boat and they literally were following. I just I imagine this parade of people just jogging or even running, sprinting, on the, in the open field trying to get to the place wherever they would stop. And so when Jesus and his disciples got out of the boat and went to the little hillside area, there was a crowd that was beginning to form. And in John chapter 6, verse 5, it says, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where should we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, It would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? So many of you know the story. You've heard of it, familiar with it, Jesus in the crowd, and with the little boy and just a couple of fish and bread. Um, Now, it seems odd that the boy would just be sent out from the house with a a bag of a couple of fish and a piece of bread, but that way it was cultural. It was a little different during that time, and that's all that was there. So they're encountering a problem that you and I often encounter. It's the not enough situation. I just don't have enough. I don't have enough money right now for this. I don't have enough money to pay the bills or to have any margin for any freedom or I don't have enough friends in my life. I don't have enough relationships. I'm incredibly lonely right now. And God, I need you to do something about that. Or God, I just don't have the emotional or the physical health that I need right now. I just need you to do this for me. Or God, no one's opening a door of an opportunity. I need a new job. I need a new moment. I need someone to recognize me. I need someone to give me an opportunity. Like I'm ready for what's next. I just don't have enough. And specifically for them, it was an issue of food. Like, we just don't have enough to be able to provide for these people. But the not enough problem, we all have it. We all feel like, God, if you would just increase my salary just by a little bit, 
I can breathe and I can live and I can do and I can provide for the people around me. Or God, if you would just give me a few good people in my life where I could find some encouragement, where I could find some hope, people who would just be good friends, if I could just have those people in my life. Or God, if you would just provide me the romantic person that you know I need. God, if you would just give me that one date with that one guy who would look at me that one way and that that's what I want. If I could just have this, then it would be good. It's, it's never enough. And they didn't have enough either. And what Jesus said, though, was not, okay, let's get a collection, let's take up an offering and go to the store and let's try to buy food for 5,000 people. Like that obviously wasn't on the table. And there was this one kid who had a few fish and had some bread in a bag, and that was really all that was there. So instead of doing what I would have done and said, people, I'm sorry, I got no food. You shouldn't have come to church to eat anyway. Just go home, eat, and then come back. Well, I'd already taught you this morning, and we didn't need this again. Or, listen, let's call it a day. I'll meet you back here tomorrow. Instead, he said, I'm going to find a way. But instead of doing anything external, he looked inside and said, okay, what you got? What do we have to work with here? And it reminds me of those moments that I had as a kid, and I'm sure all of you did growing up, well, you've got this gift or this present, it's Christmas morning or it's your birthday or just because type day, and you were given this gift and you're just in the floor trying to put this model together or put these Legos together or get this game board set up or whatever it is, and you get so frustrated and you just have this emotional meltdown, like, I can't do it. You just get up and storm out of the room and your dad or your mom says, what is going on? Like, I can't do this. Do what? I can't do this. This thing, I can't do this. And what we want is for our parents to say, go to your room, play for a while, and 30 minutes, come back, and I'll have it done for you. That's what we want our parents to do or our parent to do. But instead, most of us had that experience with our dad or our mom, just sat down and said, okay, what do we have here? They all said the same phrase. What do we have here? In other words, what you got? Like, what are we looking at? What are we working with? What are the possibilities? What are the pieces? What tools do we have? Well, it doesn't matter. They don't work. It doesn't matter. I don't have enough. It doesn't matter. Apparently, the directions just don't match the thing. Like, it's not enough. Well, what do you got? And God does that with us so often. We say, God, I just just need a little bit more money. I just need a little bit more health. I need a few more friends. I just need one more opportunity, just one more job, one more thing, one more. If you would just do this, and instead of answering in that way, God says, what you got? What do you have in your hands? In verse 10, Jesus said to the people, or he said, rather, about the people, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So what you got? I got two fish. I got some bread. And he fed 5,000 or more people, and there was left over. Now, what the people didn't realize is that what they had was actually the key to what they lacked. They believed what they lacked, that thing out there, that gift that in this particular instance was food, that thing they lacked was not anywhere to be found. Like it was at the store, it was on back order, it was far away, we can't get to that. But Jesus said, no, the answer is actually right here. What you got? What do we have to work with? 
Philip said, we don't have enough. We need to go to the store. Andrew said, there's this kid with this bag, but obviously we can't feed a crowd with a bag with a couple of fish and a piece of bread. They believed that what they lacked was the problem. Jesus said, no, 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 no. The key to what you lack is actually what you already have. So I want us to do a little inventory today, and it makes sense, I think, that we should begin to ask that question of need, of what's going on. So the first question I want us to ask ourselves this morning is, what do I need? Like, what is that need? Because we all have something. Imagine Jesus showing up at your house, waiting on you when you got home. And you'd be like, I promise I was at church. I promise that's where I've been. You show up, Jesus is waiting on you at the front door. And he says, what do you need? Like, what is, what's the missing thing? What is that thing for you? Like, it may be a relationship. It may be an opportunity. It may be a raise. It may be a new perspective. It may be a dream to be realized. It may be a new talent or an ability or a more developed talent or ability that you know you have somewhere in there. But what is it that I really need? And then the second question, what do I have? So if I'm going to answer the question, what do I need, I at least need to know what I'm working with here. What do I have? You say, well, that's the problem. I don't have it. I need more. Well, but what do you really have? Because all of us are guilty of saying, I've got nothing when we've all got something. Some of you right now, if there was a box to check on that Connect card that said broke, you'd go, what? Check? Like, broke. Uh, that's, you're not broke. You spent $4.19 a gallon to get here today. You're not broke officially. You might be hurting, but you're not broke. None of you is broke. You say, well, I don't know. I I need people in my life. I'm lonely. I have no friends. You have no friends. I have no friends. There's not a single person in your life you can say, he's my friend, she's my friend. Well, yeah, but I don't like them. Well, no, no, you can't do that. Like, Who are the people that, like, they're really there. And we could go through every area of our lives that way. We say, well, I just don't have this. You have nothing? Well, I do. Well, I don't have, I don't have any money. So Hulu and Netflix and, and, and YouTube TV, like what? Oh, what? well, I have enough to pay for that, but I don't have enough. Well, and Uber Eats. And well, I mean, I mean I gotta, a man's got to eat, you know, like, We can go through that one by one and realize we're not broke. We're not completely friendless. What do we have? Because that's what Jesus was doing with his people. What do we got? What do we have to work with? Well, we're starving to death. What do we actually have? The third question, and a much bigger question, what have I done with what I have? Now that you know what the need is, now that you say in light of the need, what do I have? What have you actually done with what you have? Well, I haven't done much because I don't have much. We've all got something. What have you done with the opportunities that you have been given? Those of us who are complaining about not having enough opportunity. What have we done with the relationships that we do have? Those of us who say we're lonely and we don't have the right people in our lives. Those of us who think we don't have enough money to move forward. What have we actually done with the money that we do have in our hands? What have I done with what I have? And this is a much more difficult question. Because for most of us, the answer is nothing. We haven't really done anything. We've just held on to what we have, tried to save it and preserve it. So I want us to think through a couple of principles that we all know, but we just need to be reminded of right now. One, just because I hold it does not mean I own it. Just because the account has your name at the top doesn't mean it's actually yours. Just because it's in your name, the title is in your name, doesn't mean it's yours. 
Just because it's in your pocket doesn't mean it's yours. Now, technically, legally, you're responsible for it, but the truth is, if we go through the story of God, we'll find that every single good gift, every relationship, every dollar, every opportunity, every ability, every talent is all actually a gift from the good father. He gave us those gifts. It's not really ours. And we hold on to it like it's ours and we're responsible for it. The truth is it's not. God has said, okay, I'm looking at you at this stage of life. I have you in this season of life and this time of the history, and I'm going to give you this. It's mine, but I'm going to give you this, and I want to see what you do with it. Everything that we hold is not necessarily ours just because we held it. Also, just because I hold it does not mean I can control it. It doesn't mean that I get the possibilities and get the potential of what could happen with my hand. They were holding a bag of fish and bread, assuming, well, these fish and this bread feeds one boy. But that's, that's what that amounts to. And Jesus said, no, 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 you're holding it. You know what's there. You're smart enough to recognize it. You know math, percentages and probabilities and possibilities. But I'm telling you, you don't know what I can do with the little in my hands. Because little is much when I have it in my hands. You don't realize what's going on. And some of you are looking at what you have saying, well, I know what can be accomplished with this and what can't be. You do not know that. Because the one who breathed life into existence says, I can at any point intervene and make that last much longer than you ever dreamed. I can do more with that than you ever dreamed. But if you're just going to live in your percentages and probabilities world, okay. But you, you don't get it. You don't understand the possibility of what can happen in your hand. You look at the relationship you've been given, you think this is as far as this is ever going to go. But what if you put that relationship in the hands of God? Say, well, this, this paycheck, I don't know, this is only going to get this far. I know what it pays. Do you really know that? If you really just placed it and said, all of this is actually yours, God, now help me manage it, Lord. Now let me just do this in a way that honors you. Just because I hold it doesn't mean I can actually control it and understand it, comprehend it, on and on. And then third, just because I hold it doesn't mean I can save it. Doesn't mean I get to protect it. Doesn't mean it's going to always be good. Doesn't mean it won't spoil. We, at times, hold on to things, and we claim they're ours, and they're really not. And the truth is, if we don't use them, the opportunity is going to be gone. It's going to be stale, it's going to be old, it's going to be rotten, it's going to be taken away from us, we're going to lose it in some other way. It's not going to be here forever. That opportunity is not there. And so we look at all the things that are in our hands, and we hold on to them, we claim them, we hold them, we protect them, we think we understand them, and we're the master of all we have, and we're just not. But how would it be if we began to look at everything we had as a gift? A gift that God had given us and said, if you'll use this in a way that honors me, I'll be responsible for the outcome. I'll pay the bill. I'll take care of that. That'd be different. We all know that as a kid. When you're a little bitty, you know, you just, the thermostat is just your toy. I'm hot, I'll turn on the air conditioner. I'm cold, I'm going to turn on the heat. And then you had parents rolling their eyes, walking through the house, saying, who messed with the thermostat? Like, you don't get it. Even when you get it, it doesn't matter. You don't pay the bill, you're eight. Like, it just doesn't matter. Then when you become an adult, you go through the house and go, so help me, if you touch this thing, it is different because the bill is in your name. And I'm even that way now, and I'll just confess a little bit. When we go to hotels, I walk in, I crank that thing down to 59, I turn that television on, the bathroom fan and all the lights on, and when we leave for the entire day, my wife will look back and say, aren't you going to turn everything off? I'm like, 
Why? Not my bill. Like, I'm moving on. Like, I'll just leave it on. It'll be cold for me when I get back. And then when I get back, I can walk in the door and not miss four seconds of whatever television show might be on. Like, I don't have to get, you know, waste time turning it on. Leave everything on. It's not my bill. Moving on. I don't care. I'm not responsible for it. And God has this deal with us. And he says it over and over again. You trust me with this, and I'll be responsible for the outcome. This is not even yours. I'm going to give you this gift, and I want to see what you do with it. And I'm going to be responsible for how things unfold. Jesus later on would tell a story to another crowd at a different time about a master who had a lot of wealth, and he divvied it out to his servants. And he was going to be gone for a while, and he said, I want you to take care of this while I'm gone. And he came back, and he found that one of the servants had hid the money. Nothing happened, no interest along the way, just hid the money, didn't invest it, didn't do anything, didn't save. And the master said, what have you done? He said, well, I was afraid of you. I was afraid of what would happen if I lost it. If I was afraid of what would happen if you came back and I wasn't able to make good on the investment, so I hid it. I kept it safe for you. I never used it at all. And he said, you're wicked and you're lazy, man. That's not the purpose of it all. He looked at the other servants and they said, well, I invested it and did this. I did this. I did this. I multiplied it. You got a return here. And in Matthew chapter 25, verse 23, the master said to that servant, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. You've been faithful with the little that I gave you. So now I'm going to give you more. You looked at your life and you said, like everybody else, I got problems, but what you got? This is what I have. What can I do to maximize what I've been given by my master? He said, you did that. And as a result, now I'm going to give you more. Because you've proven yourself. You've proven your willingness to trust me with the little. Now I can do much more. So the question of the day, the most important question for us to ask ourselves is this. What do I not have because I have not trusted God with what I already have? That's normally a statement I would want to delete and fix for a term paper, but I'm not doing that. What do I not have because I have not trusted God with what I already have? I know that in heaven, the focus is not going to be on me and my rewards. I realize that. I I know it's not going to be a thing where we're just picking flowers and running around in mansions and sliding on glass seas. I get all that. And I know that I'm just going to get caught up in the presence of God, and that's all that matters. But every now and then, I start to daydream and have, you know, what ifs. And one of those what ifs is around this particular subject. Because sometimes I wonder what it would be like if I was going around in the little place in heaven that God has for me, whatever that looks like, and I got to a room somewhere, and Jesus said, no, 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 don't, don't look in there. Why? Well, just don't, don't look in there. You don't want to see what's there. Oh, what's going on? I mean, it's my place you have for me. What's back there? Don't, don't go in there. I want to see what's in there. And then Jesus would have to break it to me with, that was all the stuff I had for you, Chad but you didn't trust me with what I gave you, and I never, I never was able to give it to you. Now, I know it's not going to work that way. Don't, don't go home with a new theology of heaven and end times. I, I know that. But I can't help but think about it in terms of this. Like, what is it that I'm missing out on now because I've failed to trust and honor God with what he's already given me? And I'm not saying my motivation ought to be to get more stuff. 
but I certainly want to have everything that God has planned for me and everything he's written out in the story that he has for me. But it goes back to, can I, will I trust God with the little that I have so that he can trust me with more? Because until I trust God with the little I have, I should not expect him to trust me with more. Now, he might give me more, but I shouldn't expect it. If I'm not willing to take the small bit that he's given me and honor him with it, then I don't think I should expect a whole lot more. Now, in the book of 2 Corinthians, a writer by the name of Paul talked about this principle of sowing and reaping. And we don't talk in those terms a whole lot. But sowing, meaning a plant, I, I live in this way, and the reaping is this is the consequence, the result, the harvest. And he said this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided to give in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. He says, if you just put a little in, you're just going to get a little back. But the more generous you are with the gifts that I've given you, the more you can expect back. And this principle of sowing reaping is in all parts of our lives. Some of you are brand new with this following Jesus thing. And you're thinking, the one thing I need is to be able to try to have this home that's built on goodness and, and on faith. And you've never seen it before. Your dad didn't provide that for you. Your mom didn't provide that for you. It's, it's brand new. And you're thinking, okay, God, if you would just do this for me. But you've not even once sat down with your kid and said, let's, let's talk to Jesus together. That's the first step. And if you're not willing to take the first step, that whole, we're going to build a house on faith and on goodness and on love and respect and mercy, it's not going to happen. You've got to take that first step. But that's a hard step. And some of you men, if you said, well, I've never spiritually led my home. My dad didn't do that either. He was kind of a quiet man. He's a good man, but a quiet man. I've never done this. Well, it's time to take that first step. And don't expect something to happen that you haven't sown into your family. And I'm hoping that all across the city today, some of you men are going to sit down and or maybe with your families or kids, and say, hey, let's, uh, let's, let's talk to God. And kids are going to giggle and go, Dad didn't know how to do it. You know, it's going to be funny, you know, around. But just giving effort to say, we're going to take the first step. Some of you want to know what it's like to be a follower of God. You want to understand all the stuff that everyone around seems to get and you don't get. And you've never even taken that first step of baptism. You've never said, yes, I'll do this. And until you take that first step, you're holding back saying, I'm not ready to step into everything that you have for me. Some of you are so lonely and you need a significant relationship. But you have so dishonored God with the small relationships that he has given you. Why would he give you the good one? You're not ready for that heart. Some of you are praying for a person, but you're not willing to live like the person that deserves that person. Until you're faithful with the little, God's not going to do that other thing. And that's not a me bit of advice or wisdom here. It's just he says it. You sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you're generous, then I'm going to be generous with you. And obviously it goes back to finances. As you work through this faith thing, you start to realize in the story of God, God says, give me 10% at the first of the, uh, the, first of the month and then live off the 90. And you start to go, wait, truthfully, it's all 100% yours, but I'll, I'll trust you in this. And if I don't trust you in this, how can I expect you to honor me back? 
Now, it says God loves a cheerful giver, but let me just let some of you off the hook. Um, at every two weeks when I write mine, which was today, like sometimes I have to go <laughs> like that. That's about as cheerful as I can get putting it in there because I got stuff to pay too. Like I, I could use things for that. I've, I've got Netflix, Hulu, anyway, I've got things to pay, important bills to, to cover. I'm, I'm right where you are. But I also know I cannot expect God to intervene and bless areas of my life that I'm not willing to trust him with, whatever that area may be. God is faithful, but he asks us to be faithful with the small things. So the big question for all of us is what's that next step? What's that small thing for us? Say, what I really need is significant, good, healthy relationships in my life. Well, it's time to look at the relationships you do have and say, am I honoring God in each of these? Is God pleased by how I've handled each of these gifts that he's given me? Or maybe it's finances, or maybe it's just understanding what it is to be a follower of Jesus. Have I taken that first step? Because until I'm faithful with the little, God says, I'm going to hold back. And there may come a day while you wonder why the outpouring of blessing just never happened in your life. It's because you didn't trust me with what I already put in your hand. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us, for being a great God. God, for every person in this place who is ready to take that next step, I pray you give them the courage to do the small things first. Just to honor you with the little. For those who need to go home and to forgive someone, who need to go home and ask for forgiveness, who need to pick up the phone and call someone and say, we've not honored God in this relationship and let's begin again and start over. For those who have been holding back with their time or with their resources or finances from what God you're doing in our lives, now is the time to begin again. Maybe there's a follower of Jesus in this place who's never gone public and never experienced baptism. That is that first step. And I pray you would give them the courage to grab the connect card in the moment and fill that out and say, today's my time. Whatever the small thing is, it's not small if it's in your hands. And we trust you right now to move and to act in our lives in a way that we never thought possible. God, we need you to show up. We have a lot of holes in our lives and a lot of holes in our story. And we know you'll begin to fill them when we trust you with those small things. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for being faithful when we're faithless. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.